Welcome to episode nine of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, I don't know if it's unfortunately or fortunately, Levin Black. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so we are a quarter of the way through the season, Levin. The Niners are two and two. So we thought we'd do something sort of different from the normal podcast. We kind of want to take like a 10,000 foot view of things and just sort of zoom out a little bit and just take a big picture look at what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and what needs to change going forward because there's still 12 games left. Everything is still up for grabs. So, you know, let's not give up hope yet just because they're two and two to start the year. So first thing, what's gone right for you, Levin? What jumps out to you the most as some positive news for the 49ers this year? You know, I've been fighting this battle pretty much uh, since the game. Uh, I think I first got into an argument on Twitter about it right towards the end of the game because somebody started criticizing him. I think the biggest thing that has gone right is Robert Sala. You know, there's been a lot of question marks. He's gotten a lot of flack over the last couple of years from Niner fans because in reality, he's had dominant talent and his defense has been sort of vanilla. I mean, we've talked about it in the past. He didn't really blitz. He just kind of go out there and be better than the other guys, kind of. (laughs) Well, this year he's had to change because there's so many guys injured. He's had to get creative. And like we talked about last week, he has some nuance to his blitzes and he's blitzing more. He's sending guys like Fred Warner on blitzes. And that's why I think he deserves a ton of credit because despite losing both his edge rushers, who are arguably all pro caliber when healthy, despite losing depth on the defensive tackles, despite losing, what, the top five cornerbacks at one point in the game, uh, and really the top three have been in and out, you know, haven't played even half the season. Despite all of that, the Niners are third in yards defensively in, in the league, and they're third in points as well. I mean, they've been phenomenal as a defense. They've been top five. Are they as dominant as people thought? No, not quite. They're not able to dominate and win the games when the offense is off but they've been much better than you can expect from all those injuries. Let me play devil's advocate here and say a Seahawks fan is going to hear that and say, well, two of their four games have been against the Jets and the Giants. And then you played a banged up Eagles team and a Cardinals team, which the longer the season goes, seems to get less impressive. Certainly. I think the Niners are probably going to drop in these rankings as they play better teams. Probably not after this next week playing Miami. Let's, Let's hope not at least. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah certainly they're going to regress a little bit and that's to be expected but I think even if they regress and finish the season in the top 10 with everybody that's out with guys like you know Bose is not coming back D Ford at this point I think is very doubtful he plays again you got to think that if the Niners can finish even top 10 that's a huge win and that's better than you could have expected and a lot of that credit has to go to the defensive coordinator no, I think you're right. And I, the, one of the things I, I liked was he seemed to make the change pretty quickly. Like right away, he right. seemed to acknowledge like we can't get away with just rushing four anymore. We have to bring guys. And you're right. Fred Warner has been really way better at pass rushing than I realized. And I mean, even you saw Jamar Taylor got in the game last week. First play he gets in the game, they blitz him. He gets a sack on Carson Wentz. Like they are doing creative things. And I think you could make the argument now that Robert Sala's stock as a head coach is maybe even higher than it was at the end of last year. Right, because he's proved that it's not just that he has better talent than everybody else. 
because that was the argument and that was the, as you put it, the devil's advocate last year was that he just has great talent. So I think that has to be giving him more credit. And, you know, I put it out on Twitter right away and now he is mentioned among the leaders, but I think he has to be one of the favorites to get that Houston job. That's where he got his start in the NFL and he spent five years there. So he knows the organization, the organization knows him and they might decide that they don't want to go with an offensive coach again. They want to get a defensive coach so that the offensive coordinator can concentrate fully on the offense and get the most out of Watson. Yeah, that's like the old baseball adage, right? If you had a player's manager, then you bring in a hard ass. If you had a hard ass, then the next guy you bring in is a player's manager. You never get two of the same kind of guy in a row. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep it going through the next brutal stretch of games because the offenses that they're going to play are going to be a lot better. But I agree. So far through a quarter of the season, Robert Sala has been great. And I'm going to piggyback off of yours because one of my things that have gone right is Fred Warner, I think, is the best linebacker in the league. When you talk about complete linebackers, whether it's pass rushing, coverage, instincts in the run game, he is blowing me away with how good he is. And he's not even through his third year yet. Right. I think he he's kind of stepped up and taken that mantle of the do-it-all linebacker. Because you have linebackers that they're really pass rushers. You know, you could call them the best linebacker in the league, but really they're an edge rusher. You know, they're not a linebacker. He, I think there there was a void created when Keekley retired. There wasn't quite anybody else there because somebody like Bobby Wagner fell off last year. And we've seen that again. I mean, if Bobby Wagner was that great, Seattle wouldn't be one of the worst defenses in the league right now. You know, a, a truly dominant middle linebacker can cover up a lot of mistakes because he can not only cover up things in coverage to help the secondary, but he also can fill that gap and help against the run game. So I think you have to say at this point, Warner so far this season is the best linebacker in the league. Are there any other good things that jumped out to you? I mean, you, you mentioned it. Uh, there really is only one one other thing that we can go to. You mentioned it to me before we started, and that's the first-round picks. They have both seem to have been hits. They've both done well to this point, and they're both showing loads of promise. I mean, the highlight of the year for a play might be Ayuk's hurdle from last week. No, the highlight of the year is Ayuk and the NFL getting Twitter to take down the Trump campaign <laughs> redo yeah. of the Ayuk hurdle. That was fantastic. I love that he did that. But no, you're totally right. Like I, you know, as a Niner fan, I was thinking, okay, Kyle's pretty good with receivers and Ayuk, he was high on Ayuk and he seems to be good and he's kind of flashed. But then on Sunday Night Football, he gets that screen pass and I mean, he takes off like a rocket. He's breaking tackles. And I just kind of assumed like, all right, we'll be down to the one. Pretty good. We're set up for a touchdown. And he, and one of the things, I think it was Debo Samuel that brought it up today or yesterday, said like he didn't even take a step to gather himself before he jumped. <laughs> he just jumped and he made the defender completely whiff. It was the most athletic play that I've seen from a 49ers wide receiver in years. Yeah, and unfortunately the Niners lost. So it's going to be one of those plays that, you remember the play, but you do not remember the game. You know, come come next season, people are going to go, what game did that happen in? Because <laughs> nobody's going to want to remember that game. But the play will be remembered. That, you know, is one of those things, too, that sticks out to me. Like, if there had been fans in the stadium for that, 
the place would have exploded because it's it's early in the game. You don't have your your starting quarterback. You know, this is your first round rookie. It's a 49ers receiver, so there's like a lot of history there. And I just feel like that place would have gone nuts if the crowd had been there. And as it was, like he scores and they're playing the foghorn and stuff, but you're kind of just like, okay, that was really cool. Right. And I think we need to mention him by name because we haven't mentioned him yet. We need to say, yeah, Ken Law has been a hit as well. And arguably the one thing that Sala has done wrong was not play him enough week one because he looked good in week one and he's proven it in weeks two, three, and four. I, I believe uh, Pro Football Focus has him in the second rated rookie defensive player so far this season. And I mean, his opponents have talked about it. People watching game film have highlighted it, including, you know, Brian Baldinger, who knows his defensive line, about the freakish strength he has and the amount of times that he has already just kind of tossed somebody to the side. Here's what I don't understand about that. Why the hell couldn't he get past Lake and Tomlinson in training camp then? Because everybody's getting past Lake and Tomlinson now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to talk offensive line, there are people to talk about. Lake and Tomlinson has not been good, but he's arguably arguably been the best offensive lineman on the team. <laughs> that is a sad, sad state of affairs. Yeah, we'll get to that. You're right. But I want to give Kinlaw his due because – he has looked better every week. That's something that's been so encouraging to me. And maybe, like you said, it's just a function of how many snaps he gets in the game. But the more we go along, the better he's looked to me. And I even like he's getting his arms up and he's knocking down passes, too. Like, it's not just rushing the passer. He's the different parts of his game are getting better each week. And that's so encouraging because they haven't always hit when they've had two first round picks and they seem to have done it this year. And. Thank God Kinlaw hit because DeForest Buckner is playing well over in Indianapolis and their defense has taken off thanks in large part to him. I mean, the coaches are saying that. Can you imagine the state of affairs things would be if the Niners were two and two? Kinlaw was not looking good or not playing a whole lot. Meanwhile, there's this guy over here, DeForest Buckner, is dominating for a new team. Yeah, I think the Colts are giving up like 11 points a game so far this year. 11 yeah, nobody can run on them. Yeah. They, they have a dominant defensive line. Yeah, Chris Ballard knows what he's doing, man. I know this is a Niners podcast, but their GM and Indy, Chris Ballard, I feel like he just gets it. Yes, he, he is very good, which is, uh, on a personal note, disappointing to me because I'm Indiana-born but not an Indiana fan, so I do not like to have to hear it from all my friends. <laughs> well, look, they haven't done anything yet. I mean, they look good so far, but tell them to pipe down. Uh, this is Colts fans. I mean, this is a fan base that the moment they won one season with Peyton Manning, they were suddenly the best fan base ever. <laughs> <laughs> they are, let me put it this way. They are the Seattle Seahawks of the AFC. Aha. Well, we don't say that team name on this pod unless we absolutely have to. <laughs> uh, before we turn to the negative, which you know is my wheelhouse, is there anything else positive you want to say about the team this year? I mean, there's, there's, there's smaller positives. I mean, I put it out on Twitter today. The NFL's next gen stats posted their top 10 plays in terms of fastest ball carriers on the season. And three of the top 10 were Raheem Mostert, including the top two, which those two are both 
are the top two ever recorded by them. Now, they've only been doing it a handful of seasons, but still, he has three of the top ten so far this season and the two fastest of all time. And by the way, he played a game and a half so far this season. That's incredible. And the, and yeah, <laughs> we're going to get to the offensive line. It's not like he's had a lot of help. A lot of that he's had to do on his own, and he's just incredible. Um, I did want to mention quickly, Jerick McKinnon, I think, has been fantastic for this team. He scored a touchdown in every game this year. He's got receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. He's broken a lot of tackles in the backfield and made something basically out of nothing. And I know it took, you know, three years to get to this point, but so far this season, I mean, you can't have any complaints about what Jarek McKinnon has done. No, he, he would be a much bigger talk league wide if the offensive line was better. I saw earlier today that he is the third highest rated or most efficient running back so far this season. He just hasn't gotten a lot of run because he was barely used in the first game, uh, barely used in the second game. You know, he had, he had three carries for what, 77 yards should have been used more. And then now he's been used a lot because he has to. Nobody else is healthy. And he's done better than you could have hoped for, considering pretty much every single play he is having to dodge somebody in the backfield. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a perfect segue because I think that is everything that has gone right so far for the 49ers this year. So now we go into the dark place, (laughs) the bad place. What's going wrong for the 49ers? And I don't know if you agree with me, but to me, without question, the biggest thing that has gone wrong for this team is the offensive line. They can't block anybody. And they've been healthy. It's no question it's the offensive line. That is the worst offensive line in the league right now. I don't don't think you can argue that. And they're getting worse. And that's (laughs) what bothers me. And the thing that was occurring to me during the game watching that to put it frankly that fest of a game from the offensive line I was watching and I was thinking hang on this is the only unit on the entire team that hasn't had to replace somebody due to injury I mean Richburg's been out the whole season and honestly he's been out most of his Niners career I mean (laughs) it's not uncommon that they have to replace him they haven't lost anybody. They've had the same off offensive line the entire season, and yet that is the unit that is getting absolutely destroyed by opponents. It was sickening watching that Eagles game. I mean, Trent Williams was getting pushed around like he was a fat slob out there, and he's not. He's Trent Williams. He's great. He got worked in that game multiple times by bull rushes, too. It wasn't even like by a, a crazy stunt or anything like that. It blew me away. I, these are all the same guys basically that were blocking last year when they had one of the best offensive lines. How does this happen if these guys aren't hurt, Levin? Well, I I have a theory on that because I've been wondering the same thing. How is it that there's so much continuity with this offensive line running the same system and yet they're struggling? And I really do think that what's going on is Kyle Shanahan's blocking scheme is perhaps the most complicated there is. It is a complicated blocking scheme that takes extreme cohesion amongst the offensive line. All five guys have to work together because they're moving. They got to you know, the guards have to get pulled at just the right time. The tackles have to hold up their end of the bargain so that the guards can get into their spot. It takes a lot of timing and people don't really talk about that on offensive line, but the way Shanahan's system works, the offensive line 
has a lot of timing to it and what is lost when you don't get an offseason. You know, they always talk about it with quarterbacks and wide receivers, but for Kyle Shanahan's offensive line, this could also be true. The timing goes because you don't get all those extra reps to get it down. And I think that's part of the problem is that their timing is not there. And because of that, defensive lines are able to just dismantle them. But it's been a month. I mean, hasn't it been long enough for them to get the timing back? It should have been. I don't think that's a good enough excuse because all of these guys have played in the system. They should know right. what they're doing, but they're not. They're not doing well. And I think the biggest culprit is Mike McGlinchey. Oh, I mean, rusty gate at right tackle. I, I put out the, the B word on him on Twitter after the game. It's time to start talking about whether or not he's a bust because he was good as a rookie. You know, he's good for a rookie, I should say. He wasn't good overall. He was kind of an average tackle, but he, had, he showed a lot of promise, and that's that's a good result for a rookie because it's a tough position to come in and do really well at right away. And then second year, wasn't a whole lot of progress, but he was still average overall. He's regressed to a massive extent to the point that, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I've watched every other team in the league this year, but he might be the worst right tackle in the league this year. He had a play where he was pushed backwards and he ended up standing. I think it was just on his one leg on his left leg, which was basically completely vertical, almost locked to the point where he had to basically hop. Otherwise he was going to hurt his knee. He was getting pushed backwards so badly. It was terrible at the end of that Eagles game. I think the last three plays, he was so horribly beaten that that poor C.J. Beathard, he didn't have a chance to even look downfield to make a throw because the defensive end is right in his face. This guy was a top 10 pick in the draft. He was the ninth pick in the draft. You can't be the ninth pick in the draft if you could only do half the job. And McGlinchey can only run block. His pass blocking has never been good, and it's never improved. And this is where I think criticism for Kyle Shanahan specifically needs to come in because he constantly and it's very clearly deliberate i don't think anybody would argue this he targets guys who can run block he prioritizes guys that can run his zone blocking scheme where it takes a lot of extra athleticism you know that's why he sent somebody like trent brown away trent brown is a really good player but he does not fit the system because he didn't have the athletic ability to get out into space that is needed but because of that the offensive pass blocking is horrendous. And I think this has to be a criticism for Kyle Shanahan. He needs to show a little bit more flexibility is how I would put it. He needs to prioritize pass blocking a little bit more. And if that means the guy can't quite get out into space quite as well, guess what? You got perhaps the fastest guy in the entire league as your running back. He can make stuff happen. One of the things Kyle said, because he's now, for the past two weeks, I would say, really been asked a lot of questions about the offensive line. And he's repeated this. He did it this week, and I think he did it last week. His point is basically, look, we can block for the run where we say, look, we'll block to get you two to four yards. And then it's up to the running back to make guys miss and make more of the run than that. Or they can do what they do in San Francisco, which is block very, very aggressively so that if, if guys make their blocks, we can rip off chunk plays, really aggressive, big plays. 
And what Kyle said was, that's what we do. But the problem is when you miss, when you don't execute those blocks properly, you look really, really bad. And he says, that's what's happening to the team this year right now. So they're not as bad as they look. It's just that their misses are particularly ugly. Do you buy that? Yes, because it is it is a blocking scheme that pretty much everybody's uh, target leaves them on an island. If one person misses, whoever they miss on has a free shot at the running back because everybody's flowing, everybody's moving. So there's not somebody you know standing right next to you that oh you missed. At least I can get a hand on that guy and slow him down and let the running back get by. You have to win your matchup because it, it instead of it being kind of like a, a five person group trying to block together, it's everybody getting one-on-one matchups because everybody is moving. They're not staying put in their spot. And that changes things. And when one guy misses, like Kyle Shanahan said, it pretty much gives an open spot for the defender to blow up the entire play. Don't you think part of the reason they're struggling too is basically because of the pandemic, all these defensive guys have had nothing to do but sit in their holes and watch film. And they've all basically watched film and said, this is what we got to stop with Kyle Shanahan, and this is how we stop it. Uh, I'll partially agree. I'll agree on part of that. I'll agree that I think defenses have specifically looked at the 49ers in the offseason, and that's what comes when you make the Super Bowl. You become a target. People specifically look to create plans new to you, and I think it was Kittle that said that after the game, that they have seen a lot of different uh, blitzes, moves by offensive linemen, and stunts that they've never seen before. They can't find it on film because teams have invented it specifically for them because of what they did last year. That's tough to deal with, but I will say that, you know, get over it because right now that is the highest scoring first four weeks by a wide margin in NFL history. It's like 200 points more than the next closest, which was only two years ago. It's something like I think it's just under thirty three hundred points overall for the whole for the whole league. I mean, it's insane the amount of scoring that's going on, and teams are just dominating offensively, and yet the Niners aren't. There's no excuse for that. That's why you have Kyle Shanahan. And if you are the genius that we have all said he is, you should be able to adapt on the fly. You got to find a way to change the tires on the moving car to make it work, don't you? Right, and that I think that is one criticism that Kyle still has and has never shown the ability to to get past and I think it leads to a lot of the issues that arise for him not that he has a whole lot but it's that he never adapts for his personnel he has his system and he believes he will get the guys that can run that system he does not change that system to fit the people he's done that to my knowledge, once since he's arrived with the 49ers. And that was a five-game span where Jimmy Garoppolo announced his reign on this franchise because he didn't know the entire playbook. So Kyle Shanahan had to adapt because he was playing a quarterback who wasn't in the system until midseason. Other than that, he doesn't really adapt. It is, this is the system, make the right, you know, we've seen him say this to the quarterbacks, make the damn right reads, you know, it's, run my play correctly or else it's not, Hey, I picked this play because you're really, you could do really well in it. Or I made this play because this suits you. Yeah. It's sort of a weird system because you would think that 
the play is designed to make it easy for the quarterback. So Kyle's like, if you just listen to me, you'll be good. But at the same time, that assumes that everybody's going to be able to do their job properly. And what we've seen with the 49ers is there's always somebody that's not doing their job properly. That's the frustrating part of the whole thing. Now, the offensive line for sure is something that hasn't gone right. Obviously, to me, the next thing is the injuries. But it's not just the injuries, Levin. Because, look, a lot of teams are really banged up. The Eagles are really banged up. The Broncos are really banged up. For me, what's the dagger for the 49ers is where the injuries came and how long they are. The fact that Bosa's gone for the entire year, and maybe more, because he's got ACL and there was cartilage damage in his knee, which scares the hell out of me, by the way. But that you he's irreplaceable. He is you can only replace him with like three or four other players in the whole league, let alone on your roster. That is a crusher for the 49ers. And you combine that with D Ford being D Ford and missing all the time, and then Garoppolo being out, because to me, the drop-off between Garoppolo and the other guys is significant. It's not just that you had these injuries, it's who got hurt and for how long that's really affected the entire 49ers roster. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the issue for the 49ers is it's not that they don't have talent still. I mean, we've seen it in flashes. The Niners still have the talent to be a really good team, a team that, you know, they're two and two, so it's not probably going to happen. But this is a team that I think could still win 12 games in a season. They have a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side when they're healthy. But the people that they have lost are a lot of their leaders, are a lot of their top players that are the people that everybody kind of reacted to. You know, you lost your Sherman. You lost your center, Richburg, who did all the offensive line, you know, adjustments prior to the snap. You know, Jimmy's out. You know, your quarterback's out. Kittle is the emotional leader of the offense. You've lost a lot of that. You've lost a lot of kind of the things that you can't see, but anybody who's played sports knows what it means. They've lost the guys that can really motivate the team. And a lot of times that's the difference in the game. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you reminded me of something I saw yesterday. George Kittle was on KMBR and he said something that really surprised me. He said, yeah, we miss Jimmy's play on the field just from a physical football standpoint, but we miss him as a leader, as a motivator. He said he motivates guys in a very natural way. He knows how to light a fire under your ass, basically, and they don't have that when he's not playing. And that's something that I've asked you many times, right? Who's the guy that's going to get everybody else in line on this team. I didn't think that Garoppolo was that guy, but maybe I'm wrong to hear Kittle say that. That was surprising to me. Yeah. I I think Kit or not Kittle. I think Garoppolo does it in a way that's not as fiery as you would think is required of that role. I think he has a very quiet confidence. He never, he never doubts. You know what I mean? He can throw the worst interception. He's right there on the sideline saying, let's go. We're going to go score next drive. You know, he he has that. I don't want to put him in this in this level because he is clearly not at this level. But he has a lot of that Joe Montana coolness to him where he does not get rattled. He's always going to be kind of collected. And we've seen that. And Tom Brady is known for that, too. And it could be he kind of picked up a lot of that from sitting underneath Brady. But I think that affects the whole team is that no matter what happens, the quarterback is confident they're going down and scoring a touchdown the next drive. And I think we saw last game, Mullen's confidence was shot. He had zero confidence, and that affected everybody. Yeah, I mean, he 
you could tell on the sideline he just looked completely out of it. And then to see Kyle bring in Beathard, to me, Kyle looked at him and was like, all right, you're done. Like, you don't have it. You're not the guy. And they bring in Beathard. And Beathard not only is throwing the ball to wide receiver down the field, he's throwing to actual wide receivers, which if you look at that game, Mullins did not do. Even when the 49ers were going down the field, he Shanahan basically took the ball out of his hands. He was doing runs or he was doing screen passes that were, you know, behind the line of scrimmage for Mullins to complete. He was not going down the field to the wide receivers. That's how Kittle ends up with 15 catches. But Beathard did that. He was able to go down the field to the wide receivers. And that, to me, just goes to show that CJ just didn't have the confidence to push the ball out there. I think there's two underrated aspects I think maybe Mullins was not ready for the spotlight. And I mean that in two different ways. I think maybe he was not ready for the spotlight in the fact that he played so well the week before that everybody, even the opposing coach was saying, you know, Pete Carroll was saying that it's like they have two starters over there. You know, he was getting a lot of praise and everybody was saying, hey, this guy's for real. You know, they could trade him in the offseason to a team looking for a starter. You know, that the spotlight was finally on him. He wasn't just the backup. But then also it was Sunday night football big stage and that's another spotlight and maybe he just was not ready for it and it kind of for lack of a better term mind him you know he he was out of it right from the start he was out of it that's two swears from you or world that's incredible who is this person that's hosting with me <laughs> i told you i actually cuss in real life so i just need to let it out yeah well no one will bring it out of you like nick Bowen. when we're two and two and losing to teams like we just lost to they're going to start flying. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, they were flying on the second play of that game when Kyle Shanahan (laughs) schemed Kyle Juszczyk so open. I don't think I've ever seen a a fullback more open in the history of the NFL than Kyle Juszczyk was. And not only does the play not go for a touchdown, which, by the way, it freaking should have. He can't even throw it close enough to him to complete it. You can't even get a completion out of it. That's how bad the throw was. I screamed so loud. I woke up my six-month-old daughter. Yeah, and then you, like, furiously texted me. (laughs) That entire game was Rob texting me mad. (laughs) That pretty much sums up the game because it was bad from the start. And I think right then you saw Mullins didn't have it. And I think... Kyle gave him every chance. I think that's why you saw so many screens. He was trying to get Mullen's confidence in the game, get him rolling. You know, you know, they say that give him a few easy passes, few easy completions, and then he gets going. He never did. It, it didn't matter what happened. He didn't get it. And I think that's why he did ultimately get pulled. And quite frankly, Shanahan might've done it earlier, you know, or should have done it earlier. I mean, it, it was pretty easy to see by the fourth quarter, Mullins is a deer in the headlights done. He's not in it. And one of the things Kittle said before that game was he said that Kyle tells the team all the time to make the makeables. And I feel like that's exactly what this team hasn't done this year. Kyle's scheming guys open. There are opportunities there on the field. They're not making the makeables. That use check play is a perfect example. Dude is wide open and they whiff on it. There have been multiple times where the plays are there to be made. And for whatever reason, last year they made them. This year, they're not. And they're not even making some of them. It feels like they're missing all of them. Yeah, and I actually have a crazy stat that I've been sitting on trying to decide when's the best time to drop this. Oh, here we go. And I think this is a good time to drop it. We both agree the offense has been terrible. 
You know, the offense is actually averaging more yards this season than last year. That's how crazy offense this season has been mm. in the NFL. They're averaging 390 yards a game this season. They averaged 381 last season. Now their points are down, but still they're they're still averaging almost 27 points per game. It's kind of now, now they they've had a couple stinkers of games is what it is and then they had two highly efficient high scoring games. So it kind of kind of skews it with this small of a sample size, but I want to I want to bring that up because it shows where this could be heading. And if you're a Niner fan, it's where you're hoping it heads. Everybody's getting healthy. Jimmy has returned to practice at least in a limited sense. We'll see how the rest of the week goes, but he might be returning. And when he returns, this offense could take off. It could become the best offense in the league, despite that offensive line. And I think getting somebody like Jimmy back could cover up some of those offensive lines problems and start opening the door for the run game. Because I think right now what you're seeing is teams are saying, we're going to shut down your run because Mullins, Mullins ain't it. You know, that, that's what was, that's what was going on last game. I mean, granted guys were losing one-on-one matchups. In addition to that, I mean, we talked about Trent Williams. I mean, that was the shocker, I think to both of us. And we talked about it during the game amongst ourselves that, what the heck is going on? You don't see Trent Williams just get manhandled like that. I mean, there was one play where uh, I'm trying to remember is it is it Barrett? I'm I'm drawing a blank on Barnett. that. Barnett. Barnett, yeah, Barnett, right off the snap, just bull rushes him, and Trent Williams is five yards behind the line. I mean, what's going on? It's like his balance was off or something that entire game. But still, this offense to bring it to a positive note. The sky's at the limit. I mean, they still have three quarters of the season and they're getting healthy. They could end up being the highest scoring 49ers offense there's ever been. They're, That's a bold statement. Well, they have that range. Now, it's not as bold as you would think. It sounds bold on the surface, but there's more scoring in the NFL today and there's more scoring particularly this year due to COVID. Defenses didn't have as much time to get adjusted to offenses. I think it's it's an advantage for the offense what's happened this year. So, okay, we've covered what's gone right. We've covered what's gone wrong. Now, okay, your cell phone rings. You pick it up. It's Kyle Shanahan. He says 11. Look, I hear you. I've been listening to the pod. It's clearly the best 49ers podcast out there. I need to know what needs to change. I'll do whatever you say. What needs to change the rest of the way for us to win? What are you telling Kyle? Stick with what worked in the for- first quarter. Where was the Ayuk runs? You know, I know you had Debo on a snap count, but hey, the game's in doubt. Get him in. I don't care about a snap count, you know. I mean, yeah, limit him to a degree, but I think at the end of the game there, when the game's in doubt, get him back in the dang game. I mean, if he gets re-injured, it's meant to be, I guess, is the way to put it. If him playing 10 extra snaps causes him to re-injure because he played 45 snaps instead of 35, so be it. The game's in doubt, but the Niners moved the ball pretty well in the first half, or first quarter, and especially at the start of that second half, because they were going to Ayuk. They were giving him end rounds. They were giving him chances in space, and then they just completely stopped, and the offense stopped with with it. No, you're right, especially when the run game is struggling. We've seen he comes out early, and he does those receiver runs around the edge, 
or even Kittle. They did a sweep to Kittle that actually worked. I hate that play, but it, it has been working this year. I don't know why in multiple games he's done that. It's like he throws it in the first quarter and then he doesn't want to use it again because he's saving it again. I don't understand it, but he never seems to go back to that later in the game. And I've seen it multiple times this year and it's driven me nuts because it seems to always friggin' work. And it's so weird because what is Kyle Shanahan's calling card as an offensive coach? He's a jerk. And I mean that. And if he finds something that works, he's going to cram it down your throat till you prove you can stop it. But for some reason, on that play, he doesn't do that. I don't get it. Keep going to it until people prove they can stop it. And when people start game planning to stop that play, guess what? Fake that play. I mean, that's what he does in every other sense or any other play that he discovers. But he's not doing it with that play. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't understand it either. So I totally agree with you. Like, Press until it hurts, which is something he did in the NFC Championship game. Even in the Vikings game, he did it last year, too, in the playoffs. Like, just keep doing it. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. I don't know why he seems to have deviated from that. That is very good. I I will say that I agree with you. I'm hesitant to admit it, but I agree with you on that point. Press until it hurts. What else you got for me? Anything else that you would change? I would say give McKinnon his chance. I feel like... Shanahan is scared to have him get injured, scared to overuse him. That's why in that game that he had 77 yards after three runs, I think it was early in the second half, he didn't get another run. It's like, you can't be scared. Like, guys are getting injured. Yeah, that doesn't mean you can coach to avoid an injury. You know, you just got to coach. You got to do what's best. And if a guy gets injured, the guy gets injured. You can't you can't control injuries. And I think he's coaching and using McKinnon in a way that he's trying not to get him injured. Just use him already. If he's going to get injured, he's going to get injured. That's something that McKinnon said to Kyle when he agreed to take the pay cut that he took this year. He said, look, I'll take the pay cut and I'll come back, but you have to use me as if there's no restrictions. He specifically requested that. And I don't really understand the logic to that anyway, right? So we, we don't play McKinnon because we don't want him to get hurt because then he won't be able to play for us. But if you're keeping if you're keeping him on the bench anyway, so that he doesn't get hurt, it's essentially functioning like he's hurt anyway because he's not on the field. So like it's a circular loop that like you get sucked into. It doesn't make any sense. I agree with you. Throw him out there. He doesn't do you any good on the sideline. Okay, so I just looked it up because I my interest was peaked. So you were not interested in what I was saying. <laughs> that's fair, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. Right? Something else. I was distracted because I needed to know. I mean, hey, you'll appreciate it. Your nickname is Stats, and we've talked about this amongst ourselves. I'm actually Stats Obsessed, and you're the one with the nickname Stats. But the Niners are highly unlikely to set their points per game record this season. But that's because the first year in in 1948, when they were still part of the AAFC, they averaged 35.3 points per game. I don't think that's exactly fair to use. Other than that year, the next highest is the 1994 Super Bowl team that scored 505 points, which was just over 31 points per game. I think that is still doable. They're under 27 right now, but they averaged 29.9 last year. And we both agree if they get healthy, they're a better offense this year. So you totally bailed early on what I was saying. You weren't even paying attention at all. Not even a little. It was like the bone in front of a dog. That was like, 
That was two answers ago you were talking about the scoring record. We're way past that now. You totally bailed on me. Hey, I got to do what I got to do. I was making a salient point about Jarek McKinnon. Oh. And you, should I say it again or should we just move on? <laughs> I don't think our listeners want to hear it again. So maybe you'll just recap it to me after the pod. So maybe we can bring it back up <laughs> next episode. But yes, I apologize. I totally bailed. Listeners, <laughs> I'm sorry. I personally apologize to Rob for not valuing what he was saying, even though I'm the talent. Wow. Let's see. That was so good too. And you missed it. Now I'm not even going to tell you. You'll have to listen to the pod like everyone else. Um, no, I agree with everything so far with those two suggestions. Um, I don't know. I mean, short of like getting guys healthy, the only other thing I guess I would say to change is, yeah, all right. I actually don't have anything else. I mean, you, you can't say get Kittle the ball more. I mean, <laughs> I was going to get him more in the red zone because I did like to see that they went to him in, in the Philly game, like throw it to your best dude in the red zone. They don't seem to target him as much there as they do other places on the field. Hopefully that'll change. I don't know, but it seems like you should be able to get him the ball there more, especially when you, you know, you got Ayuk and Debo running fake sweeps and you can do all that crap down there. Yeah, I, I do think it's worth mentioning. It's crazy to me that Kittle had. 15 catches on 15 targets. I mean, that that's insane. I mean, you don't see that. I mean, that the, the NFL record used to be Terrell Owens when he had 21 for the Niners. I mean, he was within six of that, and he didn't miss a single one. And there, there were some where he had good coverage on him, and he managed to win the, win the battle and get the catch. He did drop one. There's one pass that was thrown his way that he dropped. You know what it was? No. It was a two-point conversion at the end of the oh, game. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Which I think Beathard should have run in. I thought he was going to run it in in the moment. I was like, yes, he's got it. That was a, a nice little fake there. He can run it right in. It was it was a difficult catch. You would expect Kittle to make it, but, I mean, you can't – I mean, the guy caught 15 passes in the game. That's the second most in 49ers single-game history. No tight end had ever caught 15 passes in a game before that. There was one other pass that he went up for, but did not get the reception. Do you know which one that was? Kittle? Mm-hmm. No, which one was that? The Hail Mary. He was one of the three that jumped for it. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> which Beathard did a good job to get that off, yeah, too, because I, he was getting pressured. I will say that perhaps my least favorite thing to happen in a game, it, it will like literally drive me nuts and stick with me, is when you have a chance for a Hail Mary at the end of the game, and this is true for even non-Niner games. You have a chance for a Hail Mary. Super exciting play. And the quarterback gets sacked. I <laughs> freaking hate that. And I thought it was going to happen. And I was probably going to break my remote because it was going to piss me off. The back-to-back plays, he can't even get the dang pass off. But then he got it off. So kudos to Beathard. But yeah, I, I was like on the verge of blowing up there on the couch. The fact that they even had a chance to execute the Hail Mary is like... It's incredible considering how poorly they played in that game. Um, but, you know, it was, it was tough to watch. And then I had to do the NFL show with Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation, who was rubbing it in my face, even though in the Survivor picks, he picked the 49ers over the Eagles. So it was just a weird day all around. Typical Philly fan. All <laughs> over the place. They're, you right. know, they're up and down. Bet against your team and then rub it in your face when they win, despite your own expectations. <laughs> um, Real quick on the Miami game, 
you and I talked before last week about, hey, if Carson, if the, if the Carson Wentz that we saw almost when the MVP shows up, the Niners are going to lose. Well, you can make jokes about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but if he gets hot, he can beat the 49ers too. Like there are no cupcakes left on the schedule for San Francisco anymore. Yeah, I would, I mean, sure. But Miami should absolutely be a cupcake. That said, they could lose this game. And I will say this, if they lose this game, pack it in. As fans, not as team, but if they lose this game, they're not making the playoffs. Not in this division. They're not making the playoffs if they're two and three and just lost to Miami. Zero shot. If they're going to lose a game to Miami, they're not making the playoffs. They have the number one hardest schedule left in the NFL. Can't make the playoffs and drop playing that schedule, dropping a game to Miami. Yeah, two games against the Seahawks. They got to play Buffalo. They got to play New Orleans. They have to play Green Bay. I mean, it is a gauntlet for the 49ers. The Rams are two. That's two tough games. They got to play Arizona one more time. It's yeah, you're right. If you're going to make the playoffs, these are the games you win. I honestly, I don't feel that good. And I saw a spread. The Dolphins are getting like nine and a half, something ridiculous. At one point I saw, I'm take the dolphins and the points are you kidding me let's just say this the niners have used up all their throwaway games they can't afford to drop a game that they should win they can't afford even if it's against a quality opponent to have a game that they play better than their opponent but they manage to lose they're out of those chances they've used them up in the first four weeks that's a really good point that's what i'm here for One, you're good for one a show, ladies and gentlemen. I gave you credit in the nine. Not only did I give you credit in the pod last week for the really good point you made, I gave you credit in the Niners Nation post also. So the hundreds of thousands of people every day to check out Niners Nation saw me give you credit twice. Yay. Does that mean I get a raise? No. <laughs> now, not only that, I'm never doing it again. So, <laughs> Oh, come on now. Don't say that. You said I'm good for one a week. There's bound to be one that's even better. All right. For, for Rob Stats Carrera, I'm on Twitter at Stats on Fire. He's loving Black. You are on Twitter at LT Black Niners. LT at LT Black Niners. You need to write it down, Rob? Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> at LT Black. I mean, you, you should have this memorized. I constantly troll you on Twitter. I know. You're such a <laughs> jerk. God. Hey, every time I write anything, I get some smarmy response from you, like instantly, too. What do you got me on alert or something? No, it just happens to pop up, and there's always something in my brain that I can just dig in at you. But hey, it looks like I've given you like a two week break from Taysom Hill. Granted, he hasn't done anything in two weeks, so I haven't had the opportunity. Because he sucks. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>